right. Well, good morning, Watermark. We are studying, as you can tell from that little bumper right there, 2 Timothy, which coincidentally happens to be my favorite book of the Bible. If you have been around Watermark for very long, you know that every time I dive in to study books that I've read, I don't know how many times, and I just really get to dwell in it, I'm like, why are we looking at any other book in the Bible but this one? And I have that experience every single time I do this, and it's such a privilege. And so I want you to know, I mean, I'm on my toes this morning, and I am anxious to share with you what I have seen and what I think we'll see together in 2 Timothy, um, the second part of chapter 1. And so let's pray. Father, would you open the eyes of our heart? Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way you have preserved this message. Thank you that you care about us the way that Paul cared about Timothy. That you want us to be um, followers of Christ. Strong. Filled with conviction. Filled with compassion. Filled with love and tenderness. But filled with power. So that we can be faithful in this amazing privilege, which is to live on this earth that is filled with pain and darkness and confusion, filled with hope and light and love. Would you produce that in us this morning who know you? And would you allow somebody here who has no idea who you are, who's stuck in dead religion, to be shaken out of that nonsense and meet the living God who has come to save us through Jesus Christ? We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Oh man, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's just read. I'm going to start in verse 7. We'll read down the end of this chapter, and it's just so encouraging. Verse 7 in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power. The, the word is dunamis. I mean, we get the word dynamite from it. And love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now... Right now, we get to see that he is revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. In the faith and love which are in Jesus Christ, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. But the Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. In fact, when, when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he also rendered to me at Ephesus. Okay, I love to do this. Listen, I, let's just say you're alone. You're with your cup of coffee. 
you're reading God's word and you just faithfully read through 2 Timothy verses 7 through 18 and you're like, oh, that was so good. Like, there's lots of stuff there, but I don't know what that's going to do for me in February 2021. Well, let me help you. Let me just remind you what this is. This is the word of God. It's not a rule book. It is a revelation of God. He is telling you who he is, what world you're in, what is going on in this world, why there are ice storms, why there is poverty, why there is abandonment, why there is divorce, why there is hopelessness, darkness, despair, why the things that you don't want to do you find yourself still doing, and how he can rescue from that, how he's not mad at you, but he's going to deal with sin because God cannot tolerate it and God is going to win. And because he wants you to participate with him in the kindness that he is, he wants to rescue you from the cold, dark world of sin that is in you and that largely defines this world. Now, into this world, God sent his son to reconcile the world to himself. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then he left people who knew the son to do what the son did when he was here, which was just fulfill everything that was in the Old Testament, which was God saying, this is how good I made the world. This is why the world got screwed up. This is the promise I make them to redeem it. Jesus is the redeemer. Now you people who know Jesus, help me rescue more people before we roll up everything I'm doing and deal with darkness, coldness, and death forever. I don't want them to be on that side. I want them to know me. And if you're one of those people that know me, know this. And so there are three things that show up in every single chapter of 2 Timothy. And I want you to see this. In every chapter, when we study this book, and this, to remind you, is Paul, who was the very first um, individual to create, if you will, and um, minister to the non-Jewish church. The church was around. The church, um, largely when it began, was made up of entirely people of Jewish racial descent and Jewish religious descent. And there were some Jews who did the most Jewish thing that you can do, which is to believe in the Messiah, who understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And so there were all kinds of, of um, what's called completed Jews or Messianic Jews, to use other phrases, that were part of the early church. But then God said, hey, we're not just going to hang in Jerusalem and have church. The church is not just for Jerusalem or Judea. It's not even just for Samaria around Jerusalem. It is for the entire world. And he used a Jew named Paul to be the guy that took the message that we're going to see again, highlighted this morning, to the non-Jewish world. And he, along the way, met a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy was not like Paul. Paul, we don't know a ton about Paul. There's no real reliable, um, well, there's no picture of him. There's some scant descriptions. And the descriptions of Paul uh, are not like an impressive physical person. But man, if you read much of this guy, Paul, that Jesus used, he seems to be um, pretty gifted, right? And we know he was well-educated. And we know he was from a family of privilege. That we do know. That's pretty much historical, reliable fact. Timothy is his kind of number one disciple. And Timothy isn't so much from a family of privilege. He was from um, a single parent family. He probably had a pretty good sized father wound. And he wasn't just quite as sure of himself 
as Paul was. In addition to that, Timothy is what's called a third generation believer. If you want to say Jesus is the first one who believed in the message of the gospel because he was the gospel. And then there were the apostles. There was this whole other group that knew Jesus personally and met Jesus. And Paul was one of those guys, right? Paul wasn't one of the original 12 or 70 that hung around Jesus, but Paul met Jesus personally right there just north of Jerusalem on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself appeared to Paul, spoke to Paul, and help Paul know, I am the resurrection dude, and I don't like the fact that you are persecuting me, my people. So you better figure this out real quickly. And Paul did by the grace of God. So Paul had been with Jesus. The early apostles had been with Jesus, but Timothy is like you and me. I've never seen the risen Lord. I wasn't there when um, Mary ran back from the grave. I didn't see him walk on water. And Jesus says, blessed are those who believe and don't see. One of the greatest evidences that Jesus is who he says he was is what happened to all the timid disciples. The disciples initially were like, I'm not really sure what God is doing. Okay, we're starting to see this Jesus who clearly is an amazing teacher and clearly is pretty sure of himself. Now we watched him calm the wind and the waves. We watched him feed a multitude with just five loaves and two fish. We watched him call people forth from the grave. And he even told us that no one was going to take his life. He was going to give his life to them. And we watched him turn his life over. But man, are we really sure we didn't follow a basket case? And then that basket case walked out of the grave. And it changed those men. And there was a spirit in them of power. And I bet you're like, well, hey, just why don't you appear to me as I go north on 75 the way you appeared to Paul north on the road to Damascus and I'll be just as bold. And here's what I'm going to tell you. You probably won't get that privilege. So you need 2 Timothy. You need this book because Timothy is written to third generation Christians, you and me, who are having to retain the standard of sound words. We're having to believe on the foundation built by Christ and the apostles. Now, I want to just encourage you with this. The Bible is not a philosophy. It's not uh, the ideas of men. It is a book that is anchored in history. It is not nonsensical. You can make sense out of it because you can test it. Are there individuals in history named Pilate? We didn't think so until 1960, and we found evidence that, in fact, Pilate existed. Is there a king called David? We didn't think so until we found coins in Israel that had David on there. There are people that speculate about all the craziness of the scriptures, and yet archaeological discovery after archaeological discovery go, this book knows what it's talking about. There are lots of non-biblical witnesses in addition to the biblical witnesses, Secundus, Tacitus, Josephus, that speak of the resurrection. But you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with it, and Paul knows you might be timid. So let me just tell you how I kind of sometimes remember things and remember books. And, um, you know, Timothy was a, uh, a bit of a scaredy cat, and he wasn't really ready to hang in there and lead. And God had given Timothy the church at one of the most influential cities in the known world. It was Ephesus. And Ephesus was, I don't know, I mean, just, just imagine just a, a, a happening city, kind of a New York, Las Vegas rolled up into one. It's all gone on there. I've been in Ephesus. It's still an impressive archaeological site. 
And I will just tell you, young Timothy is in charge of it. And there are wealthy people. There are pagans. There is uh, cult worship. There is free sex. There is Rome and New York and Vegas rolled up into one. And Paul says, you preach Jesus. And Timothy's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And maybe that's how you feel. You need 2 Timothy. So I kind of remember this book this way, not 2 Timothy, but like, hey, just a second, Timidity, all right? If if, if, if If you think of Timothy, his name probably should be Timothy, all right? That's probably what I teased him in the school. Hey, Timidity, come over here. I mean, Timothy, come over here, right? And you might feel like that. And so when you're feeling scared, not willing to step up there, I might just say, hey, just a second, Timidity. Let me remind you whose you are, who you are, and what's going on, and what you must do, and what's at stake. As I was thinking about that this week, um, what came to mind was just heroic things that individuals did. And one of the ones that's been maybe one of the most heroic things we've seen a while, uh, in a long while, is, um, has been made infamous through Tom Hanks, right? You know what I'm talking about. You're, I'm talking about Chelsea Sullenberger. We know him as Sully. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but it may not surprise you that Sully is a Texan, all right? Born just north of here in Denison. That's where he grew up. Uh, and so this, this Texan, man, he uh, was flying flight 1549, U.S. Airways flight 1549 on January 15, 2009. Can you believe that was 11 or 12 years ago? And right after it took off from uh, LaGuardia, uh, that plane ran into uh, a flock of geese. And it just went, whoop, sucked into both engines. And disabled the engines. You know the story, right? He, he, he couldn't make it back to any nearby airport. And so he made a decision, I'm going to land this puppy. And he landed in the Hudson and uh, saved every single member on board. And he became a folk hero overnight, you know, went to the Super Bowl and got the Presidential Medal of Freedom and on and on and on and on and on. But here's what you don't know about Sully. The guys that described Sully described him this way. He was shy and reticent. And you look at Sully and you go, how in the world did you land that plane? And I, I read a quote, This I was reading this, un, un, uh, uh, um, affiliated really with my study of, uh, wait a second, timidity. And I, I read this and I go, that's perfect. So this guy, it said people who knew Sully said he was shy and reticent. And yet there was a poisonous he, he was poised and calm in almost every situation. And they asked him one time when he was speaking, how did you pull that off? And I want you to listen to this because it's why we're gonna study this together. He said this, well, one way of looking at this is that for 42 years, I've been making regular small deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient so I could make a very large withdrawal. That is brilliant. Can I tell you why we're gathered today? And can I tell you why you should study God's word all the time so you can be continually reminded of the goodness of God, the calling that he has in your life so that you can land the plane of faithfulness. The United Trinity has called you to pilot this moment in history, church. And there are people that are gonna die A horrible death if you do not make regular deposits in your heart 
of experience of trusting God, educating yourself who God is, and training yourself to follow him so that you can make withdrawal after withdrawal after withdrawal so that you can be who God wants you to be. Sully was not some, he wasn't maverick in Top Gun. Paul was maverick. Timothy, you might relate to, he's like Sully. And you can land the plane. You have to land the plane. Because people are looking at you to pilot them through the fact that their engines and hope have shut down. Churches, three things that show up all throughout this. Number one, in chapter one, in chapter two, in chapter three, in chapter four, you're going to hear him talk about the word of God, and you're going to hear it again and again. Hey, church, hey, timidity, you better protect it, and you better preach it. Number two, you're going to suffer, and you've got to persevere. It's not going to be easy. It's scary as all get out when you're the one flying that plane and it seems like the engines are shut down, but you do whatever it takes because there is no plan B. And thirdly, there is a reward of godly servants. In every chapter, you're going to see this. Timothy, the word of God, baby, protect it and preach it. Timothy, it's not going to be easy. You do whatever it takes because you've got to do it. And Timothy, listen to me. God got you. There's a judgment for all men. And especially with those people that he expects to make regular deposits in their heart. That he has deposited grace in their heart so that they can be safe. It's going to be worth it. One of the things that as I was reading this that just became really obvious to me is this little statement, which you may not find in your Bible said this way, but it's just a fact. And that is that pansies in the pulpit do not produce the aroma of Christ in the pew. And we have too many pansies in the pulpit that are afraid to tell the church what they're supposed to be. This week I was talking with an individual who came here and he asked me, um, they've they've got Texas Stadium rented for five days Uh, In 2022, it's going to be something called Jesus Loves America. He was asking me if I would speak at it and um, and, and and, and had a a conversation with him about, you know, whether or not that particular idea made sense or not. And I'm excited that he wants to do something with that particular thing. But I I just, um, in, in sharing with him about the particular request, I just said, look, here's the thing. I mean, we'll wait and see. That's 18 months away what God wants to do, but you need to know something. I don't want to wait to tell the world that Jesus loves America until April 2022. I want to tell them right now, this weekend here at Watermark, we're going to remind people, these pastors, that God wants you to land the plane a lot of times between now and April 2022. Whether or not we participate in that or not, I don't know. But we're going to participate in what they want to do now because that's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do. We are not, I told him, one of those churches that just wants people to come here on Sunday and listen to us. That's the problem with the American church. It wants people to come and listen to them. And I don't want you to come and listen to me. I want you to retain the standard of sound words. I want you to guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are a kingdom of priests. And you might be like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if God can use me in Dallas. And I'm saying, just a second, timidity. You have to. 
You don't have to come here and listen to me, but you have got to make regular small deposits of education and training and experiencing the goodness of God so that you can fly faithfully this week. So let me tell you what's going on here. In verse 8, look at it with me. It says, therefore. Okay, therefore. In light of verses 1 through 7, that's what the therefore is there for. When you see a therefore in Scripture, you go, what's it there for? And it's there because he's just saying, Timothy, this is where you come from. This is what you've been given. And this is, um, this is what you represent. So let me just walk you through um, these particular things, all right? Um, very first, he says to Timothy in verse eight, I'll read it to you. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. Paul said, Jesus suffered for you. I'm suffering for Jesus. Join us. Paul didn't say, hey, catch my next podcast. Listen to me talk about real truth. No, Paul is saying to you, join me in being heralds of righteousness. Join me in being hated by the world because you have what the world needs and the world doesn't want. The light came into the world and the darkness didn't comprehend it. In fact, the darkness hated it. But just know that light is life. And Timothy, you've been given that light. So jump on in, man. The water's fine. It is definitely rocky and frigid at times, but it's the right waters to swim in. And you come from a holy calling. Just look what it says. Look at these words that are here in, in, in 2 Timothy. He said, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony that you've been given. You've been given it to according to the power of God. God decided, Timothy, from the days of eternity, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God gave to you a precious treasure. Look what, look what verse 9 says. He saved us. You didn't save yourself. God chose you. That's the next words. He called you with a holy calling for his own purpose. Sully, you've been put in the cockpit for this purpose. This is your plane in this moment, and you've got to get these people safely where I want them to be. And you're like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't volunteer to be a pilot. No, man, what an amazing privilege. You've been called. You don't volunteer to be an ambassador. The king, the president calls you and says, represent me, and what a privilege it is if you have a good king. Paul's letting Timothy know what's going on. It's why in verse 12, you really got to reprise because just he, he looks at timidity and he knows he's kind of not a little shaken. And so in verse 12, he kind of repeats verse 8, right? Verse 8, therefore, verse 12, for this reason, I'm suffering these things. I'm not ashamed. Does that sound familiar? Therefore, don't be ashamed. Verse 12, I know whom I have believed. Timothy, I'm going to remind you who you have believed. And Paul says, I am convinced. Here's the deal. I want to ask you, are you convinced? Do you know who you are? Are you convinced at who you are? Do you know what God's called you to? Do you know why this is such a big deal? What Paul is doing in this particular moment as he's starting is he's just saying, Timothy, this is how you cannot be ashamed. Number one, remember who you are. You're an ambassador. 
This is um, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, right? Now, because you might be going, well, Ty, that's fine. Timothy was called to be a pastor. We're, I want to just say this. We're a kingdom of priests. We're all third-generation Christians. We're all people that haven't seen the risen Lord. But you have been given everything that Timothy has been given in Dallas that he was given for Ephesus. God put the same deposit in you, the same spirit which dwelt in, which was Christ and which was in Christ, distinct from, but in and through Christ, was in Paul, was in Timothy, and has been given to you. For you will receive power, the scripture says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Bible says when you acknowledge your sin and God's provision to deal with your sin and you're reconciled to him, you become one with him and he puts a deposit in you. That deposit is the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That spirit of truth now sets you free from the spirit of error. The spirit of error says to you what the spirit of error said to Jesus. The Father's forgotten you. Would he really send you into the desert to not have food or water for 40 days if the Father loved you? And Jesus says, you know what? Man doesn't live by timidity alone. Man doesn't live by the hunger of the flesh alone. Man lives by the word of God. That's what Jesus said. And because he had educated and trained and taught himself to live on something more. The spirit of truth inside of him, illumined by the word of God, reinforced by the word of God, produced a man of God. The same is going to be true of you. But you have to devote daily. You have to make regular deposits. How blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night, for he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. It, while the rest of the world withers in the heat of summer, not this one. It produces it's fruit all the time because it's got a source that other trees don't have. This is where the living water is that illumines to that fountain of ever-living water that Jesus says he is inside of you in the person of the Spirit. Do you know him? If not, no wonder you're not landing the plane. No wonder you're freaking out, right? So many Christians leave the cockpit, and are running back there before anyone knows what's really going to happen. Go, oh, my gosh! There is death coming! Oh, my gosh, this world isn't great. This flight's bumpy. And he said, no, just sit yourself down in that seat, and you tell people how to get through it. Second Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The spirit of life has come into you. That's new. That's different. And so all these things are from God, not from you. You didn't figure it out. God gave it to you. He reconciled you, timidities, to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but becoming the trespass. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. You don't come to listen to me. You go to be faithful for him. But we gather to remind ourselves who we are. So we can say, wait a second, timidity. This is not supposed to be a first class flight where people just come up and serve us and we have ease because God's good. No, we're in a world where geese fly into engines and people die and face judgment. 
give them hope, Sully. I know, but I'm just reticent and shy. Fine. It ain't about you. It's about your training and the truth. <laughs> Pansies in the pulpit don't produce the aroma of Christ out there in the world like that. By the way, can I just say this to you? I don't know how Timothy did. I really don't. We, don't, we aren't really told how Timothy did. But I can tell you that what Paul told Timothy to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I get ahead of myself because I'm going to teach this next week, where it says, um, Timothy, these things which I've told you in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. So let me just give you a little precursor of what you're going to hear next week because you're going to hear it for every single week the rest of the time that we teach and talk about this together. Even if you're a lion, if you don't produce other lions, if, even if you're a good pilot and Sully, you don't train the next generation of pilots, we got problems. Just so you know, the church in Ephesus, the light eventually went out. Today, Ephesus is a city in Turkey where less than 0.02% of the citizens of Turkey know Jesus Christ. Jesus rebukes them in Revelation chapter 2. He said, you've lost your first love. Somewhere along the line, the pastor of the church at Ephesus started to love first class more than the pilot seat. And there was a pansy in the pulpit who compromised with people that didn't like the message of Jesus. And they were seduced by maybe all Ephesus had to offer or they were just beaten down by the people who said that's hateful. You guys know that first century Christians, you know, they were called uh, incestuous because um, they called one another brother and sister and married. Um, they were uh, called cannibals because they ate the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. There, there were so many slanderous things that were thrown at them, and eventually you're just as a pastor, you're like, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be hateful. Man, I don't want to be called intolerant. I don't want to be called narrow-minded. I don't want to be called outdated or irrelevant. So let's just, let's just not, let's just be pansies. Let's just, let's just kind of just say, hey, let's just go along to get along. Because after all, wasn't Jesus loving? And you're wrecking the plane. And the world's dying and doesn't know it yet. And it's on you and it's on me. I, I just want to, you know, I'll say this to you. You know, faith in God is the key, Timothy, not faith in yourself. Quit asking yourself if you've got what it takes. You don't, but Jesus has given you what it takes. And so here's my encouragement to you. You grow faith. Here's just a statement. You can write it down. You grow your faith by growing your knowledge of God. It's why Paul is reminding Timothy, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is who you are. This is what you should do. And so you've got to remind yourself who God is and what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. He is calling you with a holy calling. He is giving you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. I know you're shy and reticent, but go for it. Let's just tell you, you know, I don't know what you guys think about me. Actually, I don't know what you think about Paul. Paul, you know, people would say, well, Paul's waiting his letters, but in his presence, he's not so intimidating, probably talking about him physically. Paul says when he comes, he comes in fear and trembling to people. So I was, um, you know, about two weeks ago, I, in a, Pre-Valentine's Day, I was blessed to take my wife away to some place where there was a lot of sun and it was fun. And I was sitting there um, in this incredibly nice place uh, in a resort and uh, at a beautiful infinity pool looking out over the Sea of Cortez. And God, in his sovereignty, put next to me um, a party of 10 people 
four of whom were heads of um, large, very successful dealerships and then the owner of that particular group of dealerships. And they are what you would imagine, right? Uh, um, you know, guys who run dealerships are. They were very confident. They were um, very close. And they had been flown down by their boss um, whose pilot boyfriend took him down there on their corporate hawker, very nice jet. And so as God had it, um, they kind of swam over on this pool that really was just that five group of couples and me and my friends uh, that were there. And, and just, you know, because you can't avoid each other when you're there for three or four days together, again, something kind of popped up where they started talking, one of my friends did. So I got up and I went down, I jumped in the pool and just started talking to him. And we found out a little bit about them. And they're sitting there drinking mezcal. If you don't know what mezcal is, um, not all mezcal is tequila, but all tequila is mezcal. And uh, it's just a smoky, strong drink that you don't drink just because you're having a pizza. And they were ordering them in tall glasses like a beer and enjoying them. And they were having a blast and they were friends and all this different stuff. And I'm just sitting there talking to them. And these verses, you know, not actually these verses, but who I was was in my mind. Okay, here we go. We're flying right now in Cabo. And I don't know how long we'll be on the same plane together, but God, I guess you got me here in this pool with them. I was on a mission trip. Everywhere I go is a mission trip, right? Life is a long-term mission trip. Every week's a short-term mission opportunity. And I was cursed to be called to Cabo for a week. <laughs> but here's the deal, okay? Some of you guys go, Todd, don't you just go to Cabo and chill? You don't go anywhere to chill. You're his ambassador. And you don't go to Dallas this week to chill. One of the problems with the church is it does mission trips once a, week, once a year to Haiti where they go be on mission and they come home to first class and comfort and they're in vacation in Dallas. That is crazy. Amen. I'm not on vacation in Dallas and you're not on vacation in Cabo. Where God has you, he has you. And so I'm sitting there with my friends and we start talking and one of those guys and um, the pilot and I start talking especially and so they kind of, I found out what they did and, and so they volleyed the question back, what do you do? Now my friend, knows, it was, it was my buddy Kyle Thompson, Kyle knows not to tell what I do because we don't want to just um, shut down the conversation, so to speak. <laughs> and so Kyle just says, oh, I'm in the oil and gas business, right? And uh, they go, oh, and they kind of turned and looked at me and I go, yeah. And so just like you guys are friends with that, Kyle and I are friends and we're buddies and actually in business, you know, we do a lot of different things business-wise together, but really how we know each other is just through our community of faith. Right? And they kind of, you know, looked at me like this, and I'm like, okay, here we go, big boy. Mezcal and all. <laughs> and so I just said, do you guys have a faith? And then the pilot spoke up, put the drink down, just says, hey, well, let me just tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. But, you know, I just think Jesus and boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, okay, Lord, here we go. What do we do? And here's what I did. I said, man, that's awesome. So you feel that way about Jesus, right? I said, hey, you're about to fly these guys back to Chicago. Let me ask you a question. If you're flying a Hawker, you're probably uh, rated for instruments, right? You're IFR pilot, right? Not a VFR pilot, right? So you're not uh, rated just to see visually. You're rated to fly by um, the instruments that are on the panel because sometimes you're flying through clouds. He goes, of course. I said, let me ask you a question. You ever been up there in the plane where you think you see clearly and you know that if you don't look at something that's more certain and true than you, you're going to be in trouble? 
And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I got to look at the instruments. I go, why? Because those instruments knows what is true. Sometimes you don't know where the horizon is. You don't know your altitude. So do you know what that little instrument thing is called on your, on your dash? He goes, I'm a pilot. It's called an attitude indicator. The attitude indicator basically is what causes your wings to know, you know, if it's set right with the horizon or not, or if you're, um, you know, flying straight or not. Your altimeter tells you what height you're at. Those things are true, and you can't tell when you're in clouds. That's right. I go, well, can I just tell you something? I'm encouraged that you feel a certain way about Jesus, but you got to figure out what is true. Because if you fly through the fog of life, trying to make it up between glasses of mezcal, it could be really expensive. So I guarantee these guys don't want to know you as a pilot what you think is true. They want to know what is true. And I just want to love you enough to tell you, you probably do the exact same thing with something more important than your flight back to Chicago. And baby, we were off and running by that point. <laughs> all right? So, guy, it just happens all the time. You know why? Because I wasn't in Cabo to get a tan. I was on mission. I'm sitting there with five Chicago guys that were men. And I don't just wade into that pool like, I got this. I'm like, oh, okay, Holy Spirit, let's talk to these guys. <laughs> Do you know how crazy you sound when you're talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life to guys who just had a various number of backgrounds? I shared my story. I shared my testimony. I shared what was true. You know what I shared was true? This. Look what this. I love verse 10. But now, he's saying, listen, bro. Timothy, from all eternity, this has been what's going on. But now, this is what just happened. What has been God's plan from the beginning has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death. So let me just make it clear. The Bible doesn't say he eliminated death. Death is still happening. There's, there's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's eternal death. Those all still are there. But what he's saying when he says that he abolished death is he's saying he's abolished the fear and the power of death. He's saying death has lost its victory. Death has lost its sting. And Timothy, you know that, man. You've got the vaccine. You don't need to live in fear anymore because Jesus has brought life and immortality through the gospel. Do you know why most of you guys don't say stuff to car dealers in Cabo? Because you're not sure that Jesus has brought life and immortality. Do you know why Jesus doesn't have you sharing your faith this week? Because you're not sure that he brought life and immortality. And you're glad if some guy's got the courage to drop 20 million bucks and rent Texas Stadium in April of 2022, you know, to put some conference over there to tell him that Jesus loves America, but you're going to wait until he does it. And I'm telling you, that pansies will not produce the aroma of Christ. And we are not pansies. We are on the alert. We're firm in the faith. We act like men and godly women, and we are strong, and we let everything we do in love. Wait a second, timidity. I mean, guys, I get it. But here's the question. Church, do we believe this is true? <laughs> Jesus brought life into mortality. So I know it's true. So I'm looking at those brothers like, guys, and we're having a great time out here, but you know something? I got life and immortality. And they might go, okay, Mr. Life and Immortality. Right? What do you think most people would have done as Sully just took a second? He goes, and everybody heard a <laughs> If Sully walked back, they'd go, hey, I got this. They'd have gone, ah! Nobody's got this. You're crazy. We're going to die. Just go land the plane, man. If they want to jump out, let them jump out. But your job is to 
apply that thing faithfully. And by the grace of God, my friends, the Thompsons and I had a chance to. Verse 12, for this reason, I suffer these things. You're gonna, you're gonna experience all kinds of things. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Let me just say, this is one of the things that um, people who study this book wrestle with. What have we entrusted him? We entrusted our life to him? Well, that's true, we have. But what Paul's talking to Timothy about right here, by the way, Paul didn't write 2 Timothy from Cabo. He wrote it from a maritime prison, which means he was underground in a dark, cold place with a manhole cover over him. And he got a letter out to Timothy. And he's saying, God's got this. The whole Praetorian Guards heard the gospel. Virginia Prodan would say, hey, God's got this. Read your watermark news. The entire KGB in Romania, the secret police, are going to hear the gospel. Virginia says today in the Watermark News, read it, she said, they didn't know when they were pushing me bloodied up against the wall, they were pushing me towards the arms of Jesus. What if those guys just go, you know what, that's about enough of this. Let's drown this dude. They were pushing me to Jesus. That's why Paul said, hey, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's better for you that I stay here and smoke cigars and drink tequila with you so you can hear the gospel. But if you want to send me to someplace that's better than an infinity pool in Cabo, hold me underwater. Do you believe that? If not, you're just in timidity. You're going to wreck this thing, man. People are going to die because you're his ambassador. I'm just going to give you 13 and 14 quickly. Watch this. Paul repeats himself in verses 8 and verses 12. He repeats himself in verses 13 and verse 14. He says the exact same thing. So let me put it up here for you in this way. It's kind of a color-coded way if this is helpful for you. Um, you can see in verse 13 and verse 14, it says, like, retain in, 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 in verse 13. And then verse 14, it says guard, right? Same idea. The word guard is a word that basically means like watch, observe. When you're a guard in prison, if you're doing what you should do, you don't let anything in that shouldn't get in and you don't let anything out that shouldn't go out. Does it ever amaze you how there is um, drug trafficking in prisons? Right? I'm like, how's that happen? You know what? We have corrupt guards. And because of that, there are shanks and there is murder and there is trafficking in prisons. And do you know why there's heresy in the church? Because we have corrupt guards, not just pansies, but false prophets. And they're letting things into the church which are not of sound teaching. They're letting things in which are not part of the treasure. They're keeping out things that God wants in. And they go, just come listen to me and validate me by your presence. Instead of guys up there saying, no, Let's study the word of God, be reminded of what is true, remind ourselves who we are, what we've received, and what we're called to do, and let's go do it. And let's love and pray for each other throughout the week. So again, you know, retain in verse 13, the corollary in verse 14 is guard. You'll see the standard of sound words in verse 13, the treasure in verse 14 that's given to us in the faith which are in love which are in Jesus Christ in verse 13 and given to us in verse 14 through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Timothy, it's not about you. It's what God's given you. Just be faithful with it. Guys, 
This is not your message. We're not talking about what Todd Wagner believes. I am just the mailman. I'm a servant of Christ and the steward of the mystery of God. So I tell these guys, well, that's just what you believe. I go, no, no, it's not what I believe. It's what God's word says. Well, how do you know the Bible's the word of God? Okay, do you want to have that conversation? Let's go. Let's talk about why the Bible's reliable compared to other books. Do you know how to do that? Go to our equipping classes. We're here to train you, educate you, so you can experience how to do it so you can fly. Not listen. Quickly, verses 15 through 18. All 15 through 18 is, is Timothy, you've got a story. You've got an example. And, and I, I, if I had to summarize verses 15 through 18 for you, this is how I would summarize it right here. All right? With this little statement that, you know, I just wrote down, I would tell you that Christianity is a team sport. Right? Um, our, our sanctification is a community project. That's why we don't go about this alone. We admonish each other, encourage each other, and help each other. We are all a part of one body and helping each other in every way we should be with great patience. Christianity, the church, is not about one guy. It's not about one person or one pulpit. In Ephesus and in Dallas, it is a team sport. But there are individual honors and there is individual accountability. And I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're not going to hear that if you listen to sound expositors. You're going to, listen, you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, if you are a sound and faithful Timothy. And you learn to fly because you have been called with a holy calling. And so what he does in 15 through 18 is he writes, and this is really important right here, he writes, watch this, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus. Why does he say that? Because Anisiphorus is probably dead. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he wasn't ashamed of his change, and he walked around and said, where's Paul? Where's my friend Paul? Why do you want to know where Paul is? You believe what Paul believes? Because well, I want to take Paul provisions. Why would you want to take Paul provisions? Because he's my brother. Oh, he's your brother, so you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. He was faithful to Paul when he was in Ephesus. He was faithful to Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. And it probably cost him his life. I don't know what it's going to cost you. But whatever it is, it's worth it. It's completely worth it. So I want to just give you one little thing just to close. And you might just sit there and listen and go, man, I, I've been screwing up. Do you know what's interesting? Paul has, a, 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 um, Paul has a, uh, a way he always says hello. And the way he always says hello is grace and peace. If you go look, Paul wrote uh, 12 books in your New Testament. Some people would argue 13, but for sure 12. Nine of them to seven different churches. And then three, what's called pastoral epistles. In his pastoral epistles to Timothy, it's the only place he doesn't say grace and peace. This is what he says. Hey, Timothy, grace and peace, which are from God the Father, and mercy. Because, bro, I know it's hard. Just mercy to you. Timothy, don't be too hard on yourself. There are going to be times in the pool where you just freak out and you don't lean in. But just forget what lies behind 
and you got another chance to fly that plane tomorrow. I got a text last night from a, a friend, a pastor. I taught a conference in Australia one time, and this young man that was at this conference has gone to plant his own church, and he sent me a text last night. He said, Todd, this morning I preached a message, and I feel like I waffled. Somebody walked in that I didn't expect to be in there, and it just kind of threw me off. I don't know whether he, had, he wanted to please that guy or was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to help our young church start up, and he said, I just did a terrible job. I don't know if it was the fear of man, idolatry of being loved. I don't know what his problem was. But he just said, man, have you ever experienced him? What should I do? Maybe you felt like that. God, I just gave in to the fear of man. And I just would say, hey, what I told him is, man, first of all, I'm praying for you. Second of all, were you ready? Did you pray? Do you have an idolatry that you got to deal with? And just know that all of us wrestle with this. And God's mercies are new every morning. And in six days, you get the chance to do it again. But you don't have to wait six days. You can be faithful today. Call some of those people in your body, not just the one you were intimidated by. Call him too and love him. Go get your little girl and go get some ice cream somewhere. And go play. And study the word of God and remember who you are. Mercy, friend, mercy. God doesn't love you because you're perfect. God loves you because he's God of love and he's good and he's given you this opportunity in Australia to be hated and to be misunderstood. And that's what I just want to say to you. Don't beat yourself up if you fail. Pick up the opportunity of today and be faithful. Grace and peace, man, through Jesus Christ with our Lord and mercy. We know it's hard. To proclaim it and preach it. Suffer for it. It's worth it because of the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Father, help us to be your men and women who are faithful with this moment in history. And I pray that when names are read, and they're going to be read, that we would not be among those who abandon you. We would be like the Nisiphorus who did our job and sought out truth and served the saints and declared the gospel every way that we could. And we know that we will fail in that unless we, like Onesiphorus and Paul and Timothy, know the goodness of God. So would you just teach our hearts this morning again through this song about who you are so we walk out of here with this amazing privilege that now has been revealed that Jesus Christ has come into the world filled with engines that are shut down by the geese of sin and we can sail to safety because of Christ. And we can pilot others there with our declaration from the cockpit of faithfulness. Because we know who you are. We know what we have been called to do. And we know you've given us the ability. Remind us who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.